then um, no helmet, Radio Shack radio, fuzzy raccoon seat cover, uh, foam grips on the on the handlebars. And, and how did that do in the wind tunnel? Uh, it was really, really good in the wind tunnel. And welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's only fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines along with Kevin Watt. We're brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Prepare for your first triathlon by attending the TriJoy Cultus Lake Training Camp the weekend of June 10th and 11th. It's two days of training, tips, and race-specific preparation. Visit our link on the FitSpeak homepage. That's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. And we're also brought to you by Cedar Valley Massage and Wellness Clinic, offering massage therapy, chiropractic care, and psychological services. See them at cedarvalleymassage.ca. And we're also brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mountain in Mission. Be listening in the next five minutes for the Wenting's Word of the Week for your chance to win a prize. You hear the word, and you say it to Leah, Elizabeth, Bruce, or Dylan the next time you are at Wenting's, and you win a prize. It's just that easy. On the program today, installment three of Bob's Bits, which as you heard at the start of the show will be about circa 1980 cutting edge bicycle technology. We'll also have our fit tip of the week, our upcoming event schedule, which keeps getting bigger and bigger, and we're really hyped about our interview with Craig Premack. You'll hear about Craig's 2015 headline making near death experience on his bike his Whistler Ironman experience, and his 1,200-kilometer randomir, only three weeks after Ironman. So welcome, everybody. This is Fit Speak number 10. Kevin Watt's been aboard for nine of these things. Kevin, what's been happening around the community and around your parts of the world? Well, a uh, lot's been happening over in my neck of the woods, Maple Ridge. Um, we have... Uh, snow! Snow, we have snow. Hey, when we're, we're taping this, by the way, if you're listening right now, it's uh, about 8 o'clock on the uh, the 6th of March. Uh, Maple Ridge, big dump of snow today. However, here in Mission, the Fitspeak Studios, not quite so much, but uh, yeah, tell us more, Kevin. Uh, well, <laughs> you'll be in for a big surprise when you wake up in the morning because I think you're probably going to have some more snow along the 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 way here. And speaking of snow, it had uh, raised havoc once again. These uh, poor folks at Escape Velocity had another weekend of racing planned in the Fraser Valley. And guess what? Snowed out both on Saturday and on Sunday. So we're keeping our fingers crossed for this weekend. What else is going on there, Kevin? Well, just in case uh, you guys uh, are cancelled and you feel like running, next Sunday, March 12th, the Fraser Valley Running Group will be hosting the Aldergrove Ramble. It's an 8K race and it starts at 9 a.m. So find that one on Google somewhere. (laughs) And if you are in the Vancouver area, uh, perhaps you're signed up already, or even if you're not, and here comes the start of the shout-outs, I guess, uh, to Mikey Ross, who's going to defend his age group championship in the uh, 60-64 to category at the triathlon, the Olympic distance triathlon at UBC. Uh, Yours truly, I think I'm going to be doing the duathlon so I don't have to come out of that swimming pool and jump onto a bike that's going to be perhaps covered in ice. Uh, Other stuff going out there, Kevin? Yeah, I got a few shout-outs. We've been getting a lot of uh, positive feedback on the Instagram page. We're getting a lot of comments, a lot of likes, and um, 
just a lot of people sharing their goals with us, which has been good. So I got a shout out to uh, AO Triathlon. Uh, she's going to be welcoming in her second baby to the world, as uh, and she's going to try to maintain a smart training plan that will, of course, yield a late season fitness peak to this season. Does that? Uh, that's code for she's doing Cultus Lake in fall, right? I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think uh, her her race nutrition will be probably pablum or milk or something like that i also have another shout out to try lana try uh, she's planning on um doing the escape to alcatraz and she was kind of joking that she's planning to survive it so fit speaks uh uh shooting you kudos and uh, applause and we're hoping the best for you and if you get some pictures of you at the event even uh, uh, just uh, of the area send them to us uh, www.fitspeak.com there's a place for comments and we also have contact information yeah. for our email so if you've got some neat pictures of you in action uh, people you know funny mm-hmm. stuff uh, I almost said that swear word but we could but uh, <laughs> yeah we've got a whole bunch of things happening in fact Kevin has been working behind the scenes uh, with some very interesting uh announcements yeah um this podcast has really taken off it's uh pretty positive uh we're just kind of doing it to uh spread the good word of you know (laughs) sports and all that it has to offer uh so in the background i've been working on getting the fitspeak podcast loaded up to new platforms out there um so you'll now be able to find us on itunes google music Podbean and SoundCloud, uh, along with about uh, 10 other podcast platforms um, that you can find us on. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, we'll also be able to uh, uh, offer out ebooks and stuff like shortly, but uh, in the meantime, you can find us there. So that's some pretty exciting news. One final shout out from my end to the man from Mackenzie, who's a regular listener of ours, and he has been putting in the time on his CompuTrainer. He's a hardworking guy. He's doing some road racing in the early spring in Prince George, and he's recently lost, what is it, seven or eight pounds, Craig? Shout out to Craig B. from uh, Mackenzie. Congratulations, Craig B. Um, I have one other thing. Uh, a friend of mine... Uh, mentioned this one to me so i went and i looked it up online and i i was successful uh the city of maple ridge uh fraser valley health is going to be hosting an a free eight-week uh program uh for parents uh april 25th to june 17th so plenty of time to give yourself some advance notice yes uh it says here parenting with depression or anxiety overwhelmed with daily parenting uh you can sign up for this if you can identify with those questions topics will include symptoms of anxiety and depression strategies for wellness and self-care and communicative strategies you can contact karen ray at 604-467-6055 and registration is required and don't forget the space is limited And uh, just in case you didn't catch that the first time, we will have the link as far as telephone number at the bottom of our podcast this week. Imagine this. 
You're riding your bike at a pretty good clip, say 30 kilometers per hour. Then all of a sudden, you see this thing on the side of the road. You're not really sure what it is, and then crack, you hear this gunshot. Then wham, you've got this searing pain in your right arm. You've been shot. Imagine that it's one in the morning and you're in the middle of nowhere. It sounds like a murder mystery. What the hell just happened and why? And is he coming back for more? No, it's not fiction. It's June 1st, 2015, and you're riding your bike in the Cash Creek 600. That's a 600-kilometer Radnir event, and you're left for dead on the side of the road. This week's feature interview is a story of resiliency and victory that takes us from a ditch near Spence's Bridge to the north of France 16 months later. Imagine you are that rider, and your name is Craig Premack. In this week's feature interview, a conversation with Craig, and we'll talk about how he came into being a top-notch age group cyclist, an Ironman triathlete, and about that bizarre night back in June 2015. So, first of all, Craig, what kind of sports did you do growing up as a kid? Uh, I did the usual. I played in Little League, some soccer, and... By the time I was out of elementary school, it was uh, music was my thing. Music was your thing. Um, any younger or older brothers or sisters that you steered you into sports or away well, from sports? My brother was the uh, baseball pitcher, the star, mm-hmm. and my dad was was really into sports. He he, well, he wasn't really fond of my music. <laughs> it was all about sports for him. And what but, was your music like? I, uh, or I, about uh, it was playing playing trumpet playing playing piano so the big thing now is cycling obviously you've done a few major events and we'll get into that in just a little bit but what uh got you initially into the sport of cycling cycling from let's say seven or eight years old was transportation and, and right through high school you know, what, there was no two-car families, and you wanted to go somewhere, you got on your bike. You wanted to escape or go to Barnston Island for the day when you were young. That was that was transportation. So, so that was how I got into cycling. And then it wasn't until later in adult life that I got back on it when I was about 30. And I thought, i got to get back in shape. And, and I, I got back on it. Hmm. So I didn't start racing until I was 40. I was doing events, you know, longer and longer, starting at about 30. I smoked up until that time. wasn't very good at it, but I smoked. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and uh, then, then I, I quit smoking for the for the kids, mm-hmm. and uh, and then started cycling, and it, it just kind of snowballed until when I turned forty, I I was finishing faster at events, and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try a race, and I, I raced the Seymour Cypress Challenge, and I, I won both days for the citizen class. And, wow! And the prize for winning was membership in a racing club and suddenly I became a racer and, the, and we had some very good mentors in the club that, that brought me along and, and taught me all about it so at that time you were this uh, undiscovered commodity what kind of training were you doing in order to win that first big event I mean you had the responsibilities of course of a job and a family I got a book by Dr. Arnie Baker now he would hang around with Carmichael and some of the other coaches, and I basically followed it almost word for word. He had a a training program that started out on the indoor trainer through the winter with strength spinning up until anaerobic sprints towards. He had a, a three month program, 
and it would start with the basics and and end up you know with these anaerobic sprints towards the end of the three months and I, I finished off that just just ready to go and I trained a lot hmm. I, I commute which is which is great, 50-kilometer-a-day commute. Yeah, we see those pictures in all sorts of weather, especially the more recent ones in, in the craziest of weather. Yeah, well, well, I have a, a guy who at work who also commutes, so before it was by myself, it's quite easy to, to back out, but uh, he would send me the text, I'm riding in today, are you? Those, <laughs> those type of things. And a little bit of... We switched bikes. Little... We did mountain bikes through the winter. <laughs> <laughs> so what year, <clears throat> what year did you pick up cycling then, I guess... In your early forties, uh, racing. Yeah, like what? what when you, I turned forty, and what like year would that be? Just um, kind of give the listeners an idea of um, maybe if so they're I, I, against I, you in your earlier career. Around two thousand, I think okay. my first race was probably nineteen ninety nine or two thousand. Interesting. Well, so you've been doing this for a while. Obviously, you've made a bit of a transition because the first time I ever met. Craig Premack uh, was at the starting line and probably the finish line of the UBC duathlon, which you've done for quite an amazing streak of years. Yeah, despite all the, the injuries and whatnot that I've had, uh, this this year I've already signed up, and I think it's my 17th or 18th consecutive, consecutive, consecutive duathlon. Yeah. No mm-hmm. kidding. Holy. So you started with uh, this whole nasty thing about multi-sport as a duathlete, but you also have been active in triathlon as well. Tell us a little bit about the transition from becoming, in quotes, a pure cyclist or a roadie guy to a duathlete and then as a triathlete. Uh, through the winter, I would run. It gets hard to get on the bike when it's driving rain, but it's pretty easy to run. And then after three months of running through the winter, I in the spring, mm-hmm. I thought I'm going to try a duathlon and UBC was the the first one up and that that's how I started and it was duathlons for a while and 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 pure pure bike racing for the next five years going to the nationals nationals tell us about that uh nationals in 2004 in Penticton it was 38 degrees and and I do okay in the heat (laughs) all the all the big guys you know the big sprinters with the muscles they were hurting on the hills and, Uh and when it came time to end it uh they were all cramping and and I felt good. And you had a pretty good day out there. Yeah, third, third nationally in the my goodness Master B that would two thousand four. What were you weighing in it at that time? About one fifty five. I was pretty light. Yeah. So yeah. And with the climbs up and camps, mm-hmm. it was perfect power to weight ahead. ratio. Yeah. Because yeah, you're one fifty five and you're about six feet tall. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's right. Pretty mm-hmm. lean. Yeah. That's really good. Started off as a cyclist, got into duathlon, had some good success, and then triathlon bug bit you. What was your motivation to to try that? Um, most triathlons put on duathlons as a kind of a sideshow to the to the main event, such as UBC. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, I I want to do the main event, mm-hmm. and and that was it. Just. It also involves swimming. And had you done that as a kid? Just the basics. So you did the Red Cross pre-beginner, beginners, no? Or you just went in and I paddled around? I can't remember. I, I had lessons up until I was 8 or 10 years okay, old. So, so I could swim, mm. but not uh, not at any speed. Well, I still can't swim at any speed. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working with uh, 
place uh, catalyst mm-hmm. in Burnaby. Mm-hmm. They have an indoor pool with uh, a whole bunch of cameras and uh, you know immediate feedback on the television screens around you. Mm-hmm. Wow! So he he can watch you swim and say, "Hey, look at your backside sticking out of the water. Get it down." And he says your legs are dragging and, and lift them up and, and uh, it, it's it's really helping. That's amazing. How long have you been going there for? This will be my second year. Oh really? Yeah, I started at the beginning of last year and, and noticed significant improvements. So so I'm back this year. Wow. So you'll be winning your age age group category. Uh, it might be a while before that happens, but <laughs> easing into it. <laughs> About the swimming, um, we have some listeners who our runners or cyclists at the moment and being a person who took on the challenge of triathlon at a later age um would you have any advice to somebody who's listening right now as far as uh you know getting into the water because obviously you've got quite a bit of experience and success uh, maybe not necessarily speed in the water but uh competence what could you tell them if they're wanting to do it i found that a wetsuit cures lots of your swimming problems so and if you're swimming in a wetsuit you never panic out there you can just roll on your back and relax for a minute you don't even you don't have to be moving forward you just float all the time so it it makes you confident and less panicky in the water i train a lot in the pool but i i I really like swimming with the wetsuit in the lake yeah it makes a big difference so all of our uh fitspeak listeners out there who are listening of possibly thinking about making that transition into triathlon from either duathlon or simply running or biking. Um, The wetsuit, huge difference. And Kevin Watt, I mean, you came from a running background and got into triathlon as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you agree with Craig that the wetsuit is the ticket? Yeah, it is. It uh, just gives you a little bit of reassurance, uh, especially when you're training with your buddies and they invite you to show up to a lake that is cold, <laughs> and for anybody who knows me, I'll just, I'll just uh, not even go to the lake if it's cold without a wetsuit, of course. Um, you know, and there's different little tricks that you can use to warm your suit up <laughs> <laughs> to help you yes. warm up yeah. to the cold water. Yeah, it makes the transition a little bit more smooth. <laughs> Correct, I agree. Yes. Yeah, but you know, yeah, no, it's good. It's definitely good. So you've done two of the biggest, craziest events there are really in endurance sports. Of course, you did your... And, and, and to do them both in the same year after a few setbacks the year previous. Uh, first of all, tell us, uh, for the listeners out there, uh, Craig has done both the Ironman, which of course involves a uh, 3.8, or if you don't swim too uh, straight, a four-kilometer swim, a 180-kilometer bike ride, and uh, that's capped off by a 42 or 26.2-mile run. So that's the Ironman distance, but you're also involved in uh, quite a rather long bike ride. What was it, six weeks after? 20 days. 20 days. So that was called the Paris Brest Paris... Um, 1200. 1200. A random new ride. So that is a bike ride. Now, some people say ride, race. Uh, what's technically the difference between those two sorts of things? The, the randonneur and the Ironman? Well, no, uh, the randonneur versus uh, a pure bike race, say a, a, a road race. Well, the randonneur is a lot you're going against yourself. You know, if you, a, a local event might have 50 people in it, I mean, I'm always trying to go fast 
but other people are, are view it differently. Some people are like, oh, well, if we're going past that, you know, the Alpine Lodge by Hell's Gate, I'm stopping there for pie because they have the best pie. So some people do it more like a tour and then okay. all the people fall in between. Mm-hmm. A bike race, especially a, a conventional bike race, if everybody's not at the same level, you're you're out the back and and that's the end of your day. Whereas with, with randonneurs, it's, you know, everybody everybody finishes just about. And the in. Paris Brest... Paris was a randonneur. It's a randonneur ride that's been going since 1891. Wow. So I, they've had about maybe 30 or 40 of them because they're only every four years and interrupted by wars and, and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it even started before the Tour de France, and it was a race. And then they changed to get away to get the professionals. They banned professionals from the randonneuring. Mm-hmm. And then they started the Tour de France, so they had their professional race. And meanwhile, in the background, the Paris Press Paris has been going on since since 1891. So what was your motivation to, to even attempt something so ambitious? 1,200 kilometers, you say? 1,200 kilometers, and you have a, a, a time limit, too. It's I, I signed up for the eight-hour group. Or ninety hours is the is the maximum. So you have to you have to finish it within three and a half days or whatever that adds up to. So you did that twenty days after your very first Ironman. Yep. Tell us about that window of opportunity. That that crazy, which I would suspect to be that crazy two or three month period in your life. Uh, I didn't train a lot of speed. I, I trained endurance. And even Ironman that I did, it was a rough year. It was pouring rain. I could see the large percentage of, of DNFs. It, the attrition rate was about 25% that year. Was that in Whistler? Whistler, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, everybody, a lot of my friends dropped out of that one. Uh, I, yeah. When I got out of the water, I, I thought, okay. Mm-hmm. It's a change of plans, and I put on, you know, my pants and my little booties like I'm off to work and, and, and everything, all the warm coat. And the people that did the jump off, jump onto the bike in your Speedos, mm-hmm. they got to the bottom of Callahan Valley, and they. I, I talked to one guy, and he said, I didn't decide to abandon Ironman. He said, I, I had no choice. He said, I had hypothermia. I was shaking so bad. They had two buses down there mm-hmm. and emergency blankets around everybody. It looked like a war zone. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And since it was my first one... I just, I just want to get through today. Mm-hmm. I want to get the t-shirt and the hat. I've never done one before, and and it's like that with any of you. Your first half marathon, you mm-hmm. you don't know what to expect. You go out too quick or too slow. And, and my first Ironman, I just wanted to finish, so I, I approached it like mm-hmm. a randonneur ride. You know, all about uh, spending my hence my the medal, Ironman finisher. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe next time I'll try for a bit more speed. You look to be enjoying yourself on the run there. And that was probably about a good, what do you think, nine or ten hours into the event that I saw you there. You were smiling. You you seemed like you had a, a running stride as opposed to a runner's hobble. Yeah, I, I was feeling I was feeling good. I, I, I treated it like a randonneur event, you know, that goes on for 12 or 16 or... So what pacing time. and food. Pacing and food, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've bonked a few times quite badly. Not necessarily in advance, but uh, out training, and you, you keep you keep the nutrition up there, and you can 
you can go for three or four days because mm-hmm. because I have. <laughs> I want to know what works for you. So what kind of things are you putting into your body, whether it's uh, doing the bike part of an Ironman or one of these super long distance races where you're on the bike for eight, ten, or more hours? What, what works for Craig Premack? What do you eat? What do you drink? How often? Give us some maybe insight into that. For, for events of 10 or 12 hours or less, I, I rely on sports nutrition. So I'll eat energy bars for the first five or six or seven hours until I get bored of them, and then I'll, I'll switch to, to gels. And then I also, lately I've been trying perpetuum blocks mm-hmm. with a, a lot of success. I really liked them. So when I was on the longer ones, like you, when you go to, to Paris, you... You have to eat real food. You can't. You can't go for four days on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the rest stops, each community would, uh, in the community center, they would set up a, a buffet, and they would have tons of pasta, basically. <laughs> but but everything. The old timers were even have uh, small beers. You know, oh, the, wow. the gray-haired seven-year-olds were were drinking beer at the rest stops. I couldn't believe it for oh, wow. a four-day event. Wow. So so I, I would have a perpetuum block every hour no matter what else I had. And I would have a gel every hour, no matter what else I had. What What's in the per- perpetuum block? Is it like a cliff shot? No, it, it, it's not sweet at all. Mm-hmm. It's uh, some kind of maltodextrin-based based stuff, but it's quite palatable. It's not sweet, mm-hmm. just uh, not chewy. Mm-hmm. When does that stuff get boring for you? Or do you ever crave real food? Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't mind it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have it worked out when I get to, uh, in trouble, mm-hmm. we'll say when, you know, running, just running out of energy. I, I have every 20 minutes I eat and, and I look at my computer. It doesn't matter how far I've gone, how fast I've gone, how many calories I've used. Every 20 minutes I'll have a third of a power bar or one of these perpetuums mm-hmm. or a shot of gel. I use the bulk gel, so it's not a whole power gel, just a... a from a sh- like from I fill, Perpetuum? No, of whatever gel I'm using. I'll, oh, fill, okay. I'll fill up a container. Mm. Oh. Because okay. in a day, you'd go through you know, 20 or 30 of the, yeah. the little ones. It's Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I've never actually uh, <clears throat> followed the sort of 20-minute rule. I gen- Well, actually, what I do do is I usually do a 40-minute rule. So... I don't, I don't usually go anything beyond uh, 40 minutes. I like to always keep the, the tank topped up. Although it hasn't been working lately, but rule of thumb is that's what I, I try to do. And I don't know about you, but I don't steer very far away from the products that I like to use. You know, I just, as much as I'll hate them at the end of anything that I'm doing, I'll always kind of come back to them, and I'll never, I'll never um, kind of sidetrack and try out any other, you know, nutrition. I'll, I'll try. So the randonneur rides are good for that because whether you lost half an hour in a 14-hour ride doesn't really matter. So all the the freebies that we get at races, you know, mm-hmm. they're always trying to put some new nutritional product in your in your package, right? So I, I try those on randonneur rides, and if I like them, then I mm-hmm. use them in, in a race. Mm-hmm. And some some I've had had problems with, you know, mm-hmm. like I had a upset stomach, you know, five minutes later, and I'm okay. Well, not that one. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So we've got kind of a select group of people around the microphone. Uh, I'd just like to introduce the rest of the people who are chiming in. We've got Kevin Watt, who's uh, done a number of Ironman races. He's also done, uh, as part of a charity ride, the Terry Fox 360 ride, involving multiple hours on a wet uh, September day, uh, also along with uh, Dr. Her, who's our female behind the microphone, who's done a number of half Ironman races along with Ironman Canada back in 2005. Craig, of course, who was our guest, and myself, who's done quite a few Ironman distance races. We've all done longer (laughs) races. Uh, This is kind of a bike-specific question for everybody here. Um, On races like this, for for the folks who, who have been doing races, maybe they've done an Olympic distance triathlon, or maybe they're into road racing to an extent but for the longer distance stuff and we're talking i mean for craig obviously over 20 hours for kevin watt that ride in september for terry fox how long was your ride i think moving time was about 12 hours about 12 hours uh, average iron man bike split for me is going to be somewhere around six hours and at least you were on the bike for somewhere a little bit longer than six hours but um for the listeners out there what would be the main issue that you or main challenge you had to overcome in a bike event of that length and I'll go first and you of course can uh, offer your own experience for me it's uh, definitely discomfort on the uh, on the private parts that's where if anything's going to slow me down or distract me or, or provide a major challenge it's not necessarily the cramping it's not necessarily running out of energy but it's uh it's just getting comfortable on the bike seat so um anybody care to share well i'd like to ask you that question i mean 1200 kilometers on a bike seat i, I got a saddle that uh, you know, when I started, I tried a bunch of different saddles, and there was one called the Pirelli suspension, and it just agreed with my backside. Everybody has uh, has different shapes. Yeah. I knew one girl that had a a bike saddle that was carbon fiber with no padding, solid carbon fiber, but she had it custom made to to her backside, mm-hmm. and she swore by it. Oh, nice. That the Paris Press Paris, it was four and a half days, or four days, and I I never even had a a saddle sore of any kind. Wow. I felt fine. I even went for a ride the next day. It wow. was, uh, it's, it's not an issue with me. It's, wow. so maybe you had some carbon fiber installed in your, uh, private. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, just lucky that I found hmm. it. Okay. Wow. Anybody else? Uh, hmm. It always just boils down to nutrition for me. Yeah. Um, I've had a bike fit done on every one of my bikes. Um, I went and I've had a manual bike fit, but I had the, uh, guru dynamic bike fit done and that's where you sit on a machine and they dial you in. And, um, that was my saving grace. Um, I've transferred that fit to all of my other bikes and then have retweaked them. So I always feel awesome. I always feel comfortable on my bike, but it just, it always just boils down to my nutrition. Just sometimes stuff doesn't agree. Some stuff just won't go through the body that well. And, you know, so it just boils down to that. That's all. Dr. Her, long bike ride. What's going to slow you down most likely? 
flat tires. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Flat tires. Good point. So one of the things that tweaked my interest is you were saying that you have the system that you use when you're doing your training rides, but then when you did the 1,200-kilometer uh, randonneer, you, um, you had these buffets of pasta. Yeah. How did you manage to digest that if that's not what you trained with? Basically, on, on something like that, you're ready to eat anything and everything. You know, after the first day, even if you didn't, I would get to the places and after two or three days, I did. I just wanted to go to sleep. I didn't even feel like eating. Yeah. But you kind of get this mentality like, like I need that. I better eat. And you said, I would have croissants and pasta and fruit and just, just eat as much as I could. And it all agreed with you. Yeah, everything. I've, I've been lucky that way. Wow. Hmm. What was your longest training ride for that? Uh, I to qual- you have to qualify to do the Paris Brest Paris twelve hundred, okay. which means you have to do a randonneur two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, and six hundred. Oh wow! Okay. So so you, you like so you can't just sign up for it like signing up for for Ironman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, I think I'll just sign up for twelve hundred. You, you, ha- you have yeah. to do the the four qualifying rides in the previous year to 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 qual- to so you yeah, can go qualify, there. Yeah. So that's that's good training for nutrition and. And training, so my longest one before was six hundred. Okay, and you did the pasta thing then, in the six hundred. Uh, no, 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 I just just the the usual bars and gel. Was that okay. the one that Alex Pope did on the island? And you start out at one hundred and fifty, and then the next day is two and three. <clears throat> I was following him on that one, and his his final day was like a six hundred kilometer day and yeah the, the series that includes the 200 300 400 and 600 is normally like you do a 200 and a couple weeks later is the 300 and they, they have a spring mm-hmm. series and a, and then they had this one event and they have the same thing this year you do all the the whole series in a week wow. so on monday you do the 200 tuesday you do the 300 wednesday's off thursday you do the 400 and then you have 600 on the weekend type wow. thing and they, they have one now that for this year, they're doing the same event, except it starts in Peace River mm-hmm. and ends in Victoria, and they're doing the same thing, a 200, a 300, a 400, and a, and a 600. And for the folks who don't know, Peace River is in northern Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, that's quite the journey. Speaking of journeys, uh, Craig uh, it was late at night, early in the morning on a Friday or Saturday. You were cycling through the Fraser Canyon, and you met up with some crazy sort of adversity. You want to tell us about what happened that night? The Cache Creek 600, 2014. Mm-hmm. I, it was my first 600, and I, I was trying to to get the qualification rides in for Paris. And I had been up to Cache Creek, and they had a, a rest stop in Spences Bridge. I stopped at Spences Bridge, even put my head down for a couple hours, and I was just getting up to speed. And somebody was standing on the side of the road with a gun and shot me. While you were on your bike? While I was on my bike. You were biking. You were pedaling. I was pedaling at about 1 o'clock in the morning. Wow. And I I thought it was children with fireworks. Yeah. And and then my arm uh, said otherwise. Oh, yeah. It just, uh, yeah, it was was a tough one. Did you fall? I didn't fall. I, 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 well, I 
had the feeling that I had to escape, so I I rode with the the one arm. Wow. For for you know until I could stop and and wow. take care of things. How long was that? How long did I ride with yeah. one arm? Oh, only two or three hundred meters, just to Oof. just to get away. To feel safe. You were shot yeah. in your arm. Yes. Wow. Which arm was it? My right arm. So facing the opposite side of the highway. Yeah, the highway. Yeah. And that's... Heading south towards towards Vancouver. And it was dark out? It, it, it was, was one a, in the morning. Yeah. One pitch, in the morning. Pitch black? Pitch, and there's nothing around there. There's no. Is, was there a river on the other side? Yeah, here? you have the Fraser on one side and a, and a hill on the other side. And a meet, uh, concrete barriers? Yeah. Yeah, somebody was leaning against the concrete barrier, just like, you know, shooting at the PNE gallery. Did you see the person? A little. Yeah. A little. So how did you take care of yourself? Obviously, you're here to tell the story. What happened in the next 20 minutes? Initially, I, initially I thought I was going to die. I thought, yeah. well, this sucks. Well, yeah, here no I am kidding. in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Didn't wow. finish the 600, and now I'm going to die so unceremoniously on the side of the road. And I thought, well, what, what's the best thing that you can do? Uh, stop the bleeding. So I, I stopped the bleeding, and then uh, I used a pair of uh, tights, cycling tights, okay. and, and wrapped it around till it stopped. Wow. Hmm. And then about 20 minutes later, some friends came by who were also on the ride, and they so there was no cell phone service. Oh. Even in the city of Spencer's Bridge, there was no cell phone service, so they had to ride back to the hotel that we were at and telephone for police and ambulance and stuff. Yeah. So in the meantime, you're waiting along the side of the road for them? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I knew that sooner or later somebody would come. Mm, yeah. No vehicle traffic? There, there was a couple, but they, they never stopped. They just kept going? Like, I couldn't really wave with both hands because one was, was kind of messed up. Right. So waving with one hand, it almost looks like a... Like a hello. Because <laughs> oh, uh, I kind of waved at them, and they were kind of like... <laughs> so what was the... Um, lapse of time what was the time frame from seeing this person to realizing something really bad has happened to stopping kind of doing sort of a self-assessment to when your your friends on bikes who are doing the ride with you showed up the the whole incident only took five or six seconds I, I was traveling at over 30 kilometers an hour at the time mm-hmm. so I, that that was just just a flash and it was over and then the the, the patching up it, it's hard to mm-hmm. to judge time you know when you're it under is. that much stress yeah. mm-hmm. but it seemed like about 20 minutes or half an hour before they they came by and you were sitting at the side of the road and then your friends come up and then yeah i told them i'd been shot and they laughed and kept riding because they, oh, they, they wouldn't take you. they wouldn't believe me they thought yeah. I was shot as in I'm out of gas I'm shot yeah, you know, like I'm, I'm shot bon- yeah, I'm bonked, I'm right? yeah. so they laughed and kept on riding and then oh. I'm like, like no and then you know when they put their lights on me they could see the oh, wow. the red paint everywhere they knew mm. that I was in trouble yes. wow. so you got help eventually yep um, what happened next um, they took me to uh, to Spence or to Ashcroft Hospital and basically all the first aid stuff 
you know, took x-rays and showed me what was wrong. And that was... Was it an entry wound or an exit? Uh, with an exit? Yes. So the bullet did exit yeah. your arm? Yeah. There's a lot mo- going... Mo- most of it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going through my head as I'm... I'm, I'm just picturing like this. you're yeah. in the middle of nowhere it's wow. dark out wow. I, I you know i'm just trying to put myself in that situation like yeah. you know and then of course it's like well how would i handle myself under that kind of pressure because there's pain we all hate pain yeah there, there wasn't any pain no it's fast no mm. it was so fast just because there's a lot more things to worry about besides the pain. <laughs> Survival. <laughs> well, exactly. So, so, so I couldn't even feel the pain. It you was... have a river that's really loud next to you. Yeah. It's dark. I mean, it's, yeah, you know. Yeah, shock and denial first. I mean, you would not want to believe you've been shot, so that's not even what you were thinking at yeah, first. Yeah, I, 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 the first thing I thought was, Fireworks. like, like why? Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I knew exactly what happened. I had this hole in my arm, right? And, and I thought, why? You know, I hadn't had any any problems that day or anything, you know, it just feels like right out of the blue. Yeah. Did you think this person may be coming back? Or, yeah. Did, did you, well, I'm trying to put myself in, the, to the, your the part of the story it's, it's, from, from when I get shot, Yes. maybe like about three seconds before that, mm-hmm. for about the next six seconds, what I saw, what I did, that's because it's still under investigation. We don't okay. want to talk about that. Okay, that's yeah. fine. That, so that so we get to the point sense. where, like, I've been, I've been shot, okay. and and then 10, you know, 20 seconds later, I've ridden down the road, mm-hmm. and I am got off my bike, yeah. and I'm bleeding. And that's where we can pick up the story again, yeah. because okay. we, we don't want to talk about no, okay. what I saw. That's yeah. All right. Yeah, no, that's so you're recovering. Tell us about... Because obviously this was the year before you had some major ambitions, including Iron Man, including Paris Brest. How much of a, and I'm talking like this to a fellow competitor who's a very, uh, I would say a hard ass. What was the road to recovery like? Um, the surgeon said I couldn't get on, I couldn't exercise for a month. And he said, you're just the type of guy. (laughs) (laughs) And so so after a month, I, I, he said, you can go on the trainer and, and you could run, but not the gross grind. <laughs> and, uh, and I set the trainer up and the Tour de France was on TV at the time. And every day when they rode for two or three hours, I rode for two or three hours. Oh, nice. I, I had a TV outside and then the, the trainer, I even propped up the front for the mountain stages <laughs> and, uh, and, and stayed in shape. And wow. what month, what month was your, what month was, um, Spence's bridge in? That was June 1st. And the Tour de France is in which month? It's in July. July. Well, it starts in June. Yeah. Okay. Oh. End of June. And then I I was able to do another 600 in August. So your first ride back on the the road. Tell us about that. What were your feelings like? How were you prepared? How long was the ride? What sticks out on your mind about that ride, if anything? I I don't really remember the first ride because I had done so many miles on the trainer. Literally, Mm -hmm. like, like. 60 or 70 a day mm. and I just uh, just got back on I was determined not to not to let him stop me mm-hmm. you know like okay you hurt my arm but if you took you know cycling away from me mm-hmm. that would be uh, 
you know, he'd kind of win if he got, if he did mm-hmm. that. And if I, you know, I just wasn't going to let anybody take that away. So I was determined to get back on the bike. And yeah, that's a real story of resilience there because some people would be so traumatized mm-hmm. that they would never get on a bike again. And your story is a real story of resiliency because it's like, you know, that jerk, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, hurt mm-hmm. me, but I'm not going to let him take away anything else from me. Mm-hmm. How do you make peace with that now? that whole incident um i i I just i don't want to worry about it too much Mm -hmm. of course i think about it my arm hurts you know it's 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 damaged or whatever and you know it hurts once in a while but uh, i try not to dwell on it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i uh, had a a good uh, gp and we talked about uh post-traumatic traumatic stress syndrome and he said well he said, "If uh, you know, if we're having problems, we'll cross that bridge when we get there." But he says, "It seems like you're doing, doing the right things." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you never develop PTSD. Not technically. Mm-hmm. No. I, I, so you probably used the bike to kind of balance out the the stress of it, like the anxiety and anything that kind of creeps into your head. You just sort of hit your bike, start spinning, and kind of try to sort it out in, you know, yeah, the, your own little way. A person that does that is not mad at me. Mm-hmm. A person that does that is what I think somehow ill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I mean, it would be different if it was a personal thing. You know, some, yeah. somebody didn't somebody like you, so, didn't like you for you. so many years and said, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, but th- this was, it was clearly a person with some sort of problem. Yeah. And I mean, normal people don't do that, right? Yeah, yeah. so that's quite so, a story uh, of survival. I mean, that, that was kind of, kind of a relief. Like it wasn't, it wasn't me. Yeah. It could have been anybody else, any one of the cyclists that day. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was you. So you make peace with it by saying it's not personal. It just said I was there at that time. It wasn't about me. Like when you're driving a car and you get rear-ended. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not that that person not, wanted. That to person doesn't me. want to hurt you. Yeah, it just happened, and yeah, and and try and try and recover. Yeah, and then you're not bitter against this person because you said this is the event that happened to me, and I am not going to let this person take anything more from me. You yeah, already. I, I mean, I don't want him to turn me into somebody that's filled with hate. Yes, and bitterness. I, I, yeah. I mean, most people. In the world are nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, not ninety-nine point nine. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I've had lots of, you know, interactions with people that I just. I think the whole world's full of wonderful people. Yes, <laughs> Nobody's exactly. going to change that, right? Yeah, good. When you were on your spin bike, how did you? Were you able to use both arms when you were spinning, or did you sit upright, or what were you doing? Um, I, I had already begun physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. Because it, because it has, has a, a metal plate, it's it's fairly stable. So you were able to say, rest in the hoods or the drops or, or... on the arrow bars. So you would be okay. The, 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 even now, it's it's in a, a place without a lot of mm-hmm. fat or anything on top of it. I can still. And where was it's what located? It, it's 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 uh, on the the lower forearm, I guess. Okay. So it, it's right. It's the part that hits the arrow bars. Oh, basically. oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. So, have you added extra padding to the arrow bars or anything? Or 
No, no, it seems oh. okay. Jeez. So more advice time. This time we're going to take the approach of, okay, family guy, full-time job, all those responsibilities that probably everybody who is listening to this podcast is uh, identifying with. Um, training for these events for all of us is, is a huge commitment, and at times it can be. It can be not necessarily a stress. How do you manage now, coming into it now, because you've got a full slate of events? I'm sure I know you're doing Challenge Penticton, uh, the duathlon at the World Championships here in the month of August. How do you manage all that training with the uh, responsibilities and stresses of jobs and family commitments? I make a training calendar. And I follow it religiously. Sometimes I won't get everything done until midnight or one in the morning. And I've I've done a 20-kilometer run at one in the morning. <laughs> I, it's like before I go to bed, I'm going to do everything that's on that list. Nice. And, it's dedication. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, just to make, make a schedule and, and stick to it. I mean, if you get sick, I mean, every once in a while there's going to be things that are beyond your control. But basically, I... I just fit it all in wow. at the expense of maybe not sleeping too much. <laughs> <laughs> which which event are you uh, going to be going into? At, um, at the World... Correct, yes. Um, I signed up for three events. I, I signed up for the Sprint Distance Duathlon, mm-hmm. the Olympic Distance Duathlon, mm-hmm. and the Long Distance Triathlon. I wasn't really planning on it, but uh, last year... When I did it, it was the national championship, and I inadvertently qualified <laughs> because they took the top ten per age group, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and I qualified, and I thought, well, mm-hmm. if I qualify, um, I'm doing it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, uh, can are we allowed to ask your age group? Sure. Uh, okay, great. Uh, uh, <laughs> Don't leave us hanging here. Right? Well, they're in the same age group, aren't you? No, no, no. no I, I, we're I'm friends. Oh, yes. we're friends. <laughs> I, I'm. 57, so next year I'll be racing as a 58-year-old because during the year, or this year, I'll, be, I'll turn 58. Okay. Right. So well, when, when I got shot, the, the media got my age wrong. Oh. So they were reporting that I was 59. Oh, jeez. Instead of born in 59. Oh, oh, So my age is kind of messed up everywhere oh, on, on, on the internet. On the internet. People so are, for people who are listening, Craig Premack, born in 1959, competing... <laughs> yeah. As a fifty-seven-year-old this year, yeah. As a fifty, and the age group is fifty-five to fifty-nine. Fifty-nine, yeah, right. Okay. So now that you've entered into three events, are you scoping out your competition? Are you kind of going back and checking out the top three results for each each race, and then just kind of gauging where you're at? It these international events, you can. Like a local event, UBC. Yes, I'll know everybody who I'm, I'm competing against. Mm-hmm. These ones here, there'll be some extremely fit guy from Germany that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. There'll be people from everywhere. So basically, you you just do your best and, and hope for the best. You know, and, and I don't think I'm going to be competitive in long distance triathlon, but you just do your best. Mm-hmm. Just mm. enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this question, but I will. Uh... Try and ask it anyway. Um, obviously, 2014 was a big year for you. You did the Ironman. You did Paris, Brest, Paris. What was the bigger athletic accomplishment for you? Uh, Paris, Brest, Paris, fivefold. Explain why. 
it, it's just that much harder. It, it, even if you think, you know, the amount of calories burned, it's it's like wow. doing four or five Ironman back to back without sleep. It, it, you just can't compare them. I mean, an Ironman, most people do it in 12 or 14 hours or something like that. This one here, you, you're 12 or 14 hours into it, you're just getting warmed up. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and it was it was really hard. It, it was uh, going without sleep. Your your brain behaves oddly. I, I never could you explain that for people who haven't experienced that <laughs> yet. <laughs> you got to get into our heads. You got to tell us about this. It it was after the the, the first night I, I slept for an hour, and then the second night, and then I, I it was as if you're entering a, a dream, and, and you have trouble distinguishing between dream and reality. And by the third day, I didn't have a GPS with a map, so I wasn't exactly sure where I was. And I felt like I was going in circles. I'd get into a little French town, and I've seen that store before. I've seen that. Oh, my goodness. I've made a mistake. I've I've gone the wrong direction, and now I'm back in the same town. And and, and all kinds of uh, weird thoughts that that would be just, just like stepping into a dream. I couldn't believe that my mind broke down like that. And all I could think was just get a little sleep and go forward. Get a little sleep and go forward and, and it'll work. And then with about 200 kilometers to go, I I had a real sleep. I slept for about three hours in, in a town in the sun. And I woke up and it was like back to reality. Oh, wow. uh, 200 kilometers to go and I just got on and, and hammered it off. Oh, but the, the time, you know, riding at night in the dark <sighs> by yourself and in a strange country it, the mind is just playing all kinds of oh, all yeah. kinds of tricks on you just it's, it's amazing did you start seeing things that weren't there like the no. like a lot of people not not, uh, not hallucinating well no. that said i i could have hallucinated something and not not <laughs> not known the difference because yeah. if it was a hallucination you wouldn't <laughs> what kind of days were you putting in on the bike then like 18 hour day ride hour rides i guess the, the rest stops are about, I think about 100, 150 kilometers apart. So I, I would basically ride for 10 hours, eat for half an hour, sleep for an hour, and get back on the bike. And just repeat that for the 70. I think it took me 76 hours, so just repeat that seven times. Did you ride over cobblestones or anything like that? What kind of... Oh, um, sir, certainly. In the oh, small yeah? towns in France, you're... Mm-hmm. But the weather was nice. Mm-hmm. That helps. It, it rained just a tiny bit. It wasn't. It, it can be uh, the Brittany coast can be really challenging <laughs> as far as weather yes. goes. Wow. So, what kind of bike were you riding? I guess like in terms of wheels and stuff like that, tires. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> when it comes to equipment, I'm, I'm a machinist by trade. Okay, and it, it has to be mechanically sound. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a, a Villiers bike because i'm sponsored by them Mm -hmm. and uh it's a race bike and i had small fenders on it and adapted lights and Mm -hmm. and i made a you know handlebar bag and and that sort of thing but the most important thing was the the reliability Mm -hmm. so about two months before the event i put on a new set of rear sprockets a new chain Mm -hmm. changed all the cables Mm -hmm. and and you don't want to do it the day before the event, but no. you do it a month or two before, mm-hmm. and you make sure all the stuff's working and the cables have stretched. And mm-hmm. 
and a new tires. What kind of tires? Um, Continental Four Seasons. Oh yeah, are, okay. Are yeah. are their one of their most durable tires? Mm-hmm. I race on their four thousand. S. I have those two. They're great. But, and these ones here are supposed to have an extra layer in them for mm-hmm. protection. I, I rode the twelve hundred without a flat tire. Oh, nice! That's really? an accomplishment too. <laughs> and what kind of wheel set do you have? Sirium uh, SLs. Okay. They're older. Mm-hmm. It's a ten, ten speed. Yeah, and they're bomb proof. Yeah, very yeah. very reliable, durable. Yeah, it's it's hard to. I think actually, you know what? I had my wheel set for seven years on my winter bike, and I just had to retire them because my brake pads had wore through the the rear line uh, brake wall lining. So I had no other choice. I mean, I hit a rock and I dented, and I was. I think actually I could see see through it so oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> That's time to change yeah. it. yeah they're good real set so craig just before we let you go a uh, couple more questions for you um first of all it's going to be another busy year for you what events do you have in addition to the world championships in august this year um well we talked about ubc provincial duathlon in penticton the bare bones i think is the provincial for mm-hmm. duathlon this year that's The duathlon's always on my list because I I can be competitive at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The BMO half is the provincial half marathon championship, Mm -hmm. and I I did okay there last year. Mm -hmm. What time? What kind of runtime did you have? Uh, One thirty even. Oh, nice! But it was enough to to be the provincial champion for. The fifty-five to fifty-nine—that's mm-hmm. a really good time Be- because Mikey wasn't there. Because Mikey, <laughs> Mikey yeah, Ross exactly. wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about what about uh, any Grand Fondos? Perhaps like I don't know the Valley Grand Fondo, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll do uh, the way my training works. Is I, I, I stress strength and endurance at the beginning of the season and then kind of transition towards speed and anaerobic stuff as we get racing. Mm-hmm. So I'll do the Randonneurs series mm-hmm. and I'm organizing the first 200 for the Randonneurs in the, a, oh, mo- yeah. a month in March 18th. Oh, really? so, so I'll do a whole Randonneurs series, a 200, a 300, a 400, and a 600. If you complete the whole series, you get a super Randonneur pin. Mm-hmm. A, a little medal that says mm-hmm. that you've completed a series. Mm-hmm. So most randomers try and accomplish that in, mm-hmm. in the year. I mm-hmm. try and do it early. It's a good time for for us endurance athletes to, you know, to train in the mm-hmm. long rides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you walked in the room, I made the comment: "You're wearing your uh, Freddie Mercury T-shirt," and uh, I was ready for this. So, Craig, final question: If Freddie Mercury was still alive and you could see Queen in concert, and you probably have in the past. No, only four times. Only four times. Only. We're with, with, with Freddie. With Freddie. Yeah. Freddie's back. What would be the first song you would want them to do? Uh, I would say Somebody to Love. Oh. That's a great song. Yeah. And, and partly because he said on a few occasions that it was his favorite song. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. It has good, great piano in it as well. It yes, it has... It's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. So on the count of three, everybody, find me. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank you so much for being uh, part of our FitSpeak podcast. That was fun. I enjoyed You're doing very that. very welcome. I enjoyed it. And it was nice to meet everybody. Yeah. Nice to meet you, too. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Just listen to that music. That can only mean one thing, Fitzbeak listeners. Race results. And because of the snow, not a lot of races were held, except for some pretty fast times over at the West Van High. We're talking about the West Vancouver 10K, held on Sunday, March 5th. Here are the top male and female winners. Blistering in, in a time of 33 minutes, 41 seconds, Craig McMillan out of North Van. Only 19 seconds behind him in second place was Glenn Sequi, running a time of 33 minutes, 56 seconds. And still blistering in into third place, running a time of 34 minutes, 39 seconds, Mike Siddick out of Vancouver. On the female side, it must have been one heck of a race with a sprint finish. In first place, Robin Mildrew, Vancouver, running a time of 35 minutes, 35 seconds. Only one second behind her in second place was Sabrina Wilkie out of Vancouver, running a time of 35 minutes, 36 seconds. And rocketing in to third place in a time of 36 minutes, 23 seconds, is Anne Maria Madden. Congrats on a great race. Now our upcoming event schedule, starting off this time at the Leisure Center in Mission, where Ryan Clifton leads you through his master swim workouts on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 7.30. The new session has just begun. There's still spots available. You can get Ryan's email address on our links page. Staying in Mission, coming up on Sunday, April 9th, Peninsula Runners and the Mission Hospice Society are putting on the Heritage to Hatsik Run. There's both a 5K and 10K division. It's penrun.ca to get more details and to register. That's P-E-N-R-U-N dot Eastern part of the valley in Chilliwack. If you're interested in trying a different sort of fitness routine, the Parks and Recreation Department there is offering Kangaroo Fitness. It's a combination of muscular, cardio, and core all at once. You'll need your special kangaroo boots for this one. Go to the online programs guide at the City of Chilliwack's website to learn more. In Maple Ridge, if you haven't heard, there's a new running club. You can hear about the details on Fitspeak 7, and you can get the details about the where and the when by emailing goldenearsrun at gmail.com. And finally, the Escape Velocity Spring Cycling Series, a tradition here in the Fraser Valley, visits Bradner this Saturday, as in Saturday, March 11th. Keep your fingers crossed this weekend's not a snow out. The following day, that would be Sunday, March 12th, it's the Aldergrove Regional Park Race, an event that both Kevin Watt and I have done numerous times. To get more information or to pre-register and save a few bucks, it's escapevelocity.bc.ca, which reminds me I need to renew my Cycling BC membership. One of the cool things about being involved in endurance sports and having your own podcast is that quite often you get a chance to meet many of your heroes or folks who have done heroic things. In the next few months, you'll be introduced to many of them from the worlds of long-distance biking, like Craig Premack, along with swimming and running. One of the pioneers and historians of the sport of triathlon is Bob Babbitt. Bob is one of the original people who did the Ironman race when it was just this small, silly thing being run in Hawaii back in the early 1980s. Being one of the original and crazy Ironman isn't the only reason Bob Babbitt is both in the Ironman and American Triathlon Halls of Fame. 
He's also one of the people behind the highly successful Competitor Magazine and Rock and Roll Marathon series. He's also responsible for raising over $80 million for charity as the founder of the Challenged Athletes Foundation. In the next few episodes of Fitspeak, we'll be spending some time listening to the stories and the messages that Bob Babbitt brings to the sport of triathlon, the business world, and the game of life. And the fact that Bob uses Pop-Tarts as part of his race fueling strategy is just a bonus. In this, the third installment of Bob's Bits, Ironman Hall of Fame Bob Babbitt talks about his nutrition plan for the 1980 Ironman which ranged from native Hawaiian food to more traditional American cuisine. Yes, Big Mac, fries, and a Coke. You'll also hear about what the finish line was like at an Ironman in the early days, before the days of Jumbotron, Mike Riley, and Steve King. This is Bob's Bits. What do you eat? What do you drink? No idea. So I had, you know, just loaves of Hawaiian sweet bread. Was that something you had tried before in training, or it tasted... Yeah, you know, we just would ride around. And, no, we just figured that we figured out on race day. Yeah. Again, it's an adventure. Right? Mm. We really didn't know what the heck we were doing. So I gave that to my uh, my crew. Just gave them, gave them that stuff. And so on uh, the, the day before the race, we had a meeting at this hotel, the, and everybody was there. And Hank, the race director, gets up and goes, "Hey, everybody, I've got a, a wonderful opportunity for the event." ABC is on the island here, uh-huh. and they're filming cliff diving on Sunday, but they've got the crew, and they can cover us tomorrow. Because it's held on Saturday. In a lot of places, the Ironman is a, is a Sunday race, right. but forever, it's uh, always Kona's on always on the yeah. Saturday. Yeah. And again, this is Oahu before we moved to Kona. So he goes, uh, if we, you know, if the race is tomorrow as planned, I'll be able to get on Wide World of Sports, which would be huge for the event. But the problem is, the year before... They had to postpone the event a day because of the storms. Mm-hmm. Well, as we're standing there, the waves are breaking against the building, like 10 feet high. Mm-hmm. And Ned and I are looking out at the surf mm-hmm. going, we're going to die. And while you're doing that, Dave Scott is out there somewhere, Dave getting Dave lost. Scott, yeah, Dave, <laughs> Dave was out there for a couple of hours, <laughs> and the person he was swimming with got washed down the yeah. beach. So anyways, the race director goes, we're, I'm going to move the swim, the Alamoana Channel, rather than the Waikiki Roughwater Swim because I can't afford to miss this ABC opportunity. And, of course, all the Navy SEALs, who were the early participants uh-huh. of Dave Scott, were like, you know, what a wussy event. I can't believe this swim. While Ned and I were like, I'm going to live. We did all of our swimming in a 120-length-to-the-mile pool in Mission Valley. That was, you know, you, you get dizzy just doing all the turns. Wow. So we knew we would die out there. So there's no way. So anyways, on race day... No wet... Well, obviously, no. Uh, Hawaii's not a wetsuit swim yeah. anyway, but... Yeah, we didn't have to worry about that. But, so anyways, I was worried about swimming. Anyways, uh, so on race day, when, we're, when they start the race, um, we get in the water, and I'm swimming, and I'm staying as close to shore as possible, right? And it's a four-length, down, back, down, back, and okay. down the water channel. And on my way back, I almost run into this guy, uh, this guy, John Huckabee, known as the Incredible Huck. Huck's background was he'd run the Athens Marathon back to back to back in one day. He was an amazing runner. He was 59 years old, which wow. was really old for somebody doing this type of stuff back then. He was known as the Incredible Huck. He was one of the few guys who had sponsors. And, but meanwhile, I'm swimming back, and I almost run into his knees. He's walking Whoa. the entire swim. And he's the only guy oh. in history of the Ironman blisters <laughs> on his feet during the swim. During the swim. So he's walking the whole way. He's doing, moving his arms yeah. back and forth. So 
we get out of the water, and I, they didn't have right, the showers were just what was in the park. So there was a guy and his kid who were in the showers, and I waited you know, while those guys finished up. Mm-hmm. And my crew got me in my gear, and you know, I'm wearing my, I had khaki shorts. With, with a belt. belt. <laughs> regular leather belt. Yeah. And I had a, a long sleeve shirt, and I had a pocket sewn in the back for my Hawaiian bread. <laughs> I was number three because I set my $25 wow. in third. $25. $25 <laughs> $25 Then... Um, no helmet, Radio Shack radio, fuzzy raccoon seat cover, uh, foam grips on the on the handlebars. And, and how did that do in the wind tunnel? Uh, it was really, really good in the wind tunnel. Oh. So then we get out, and I'm riding along, and about 25 miles into the race, and I see my crew on the side of the road. And I'm listening to my radio, I'm so excited to be out of the water, and... 25 miles, Big Mac fries in a cup. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Best Which ever. Big oh, <laughs> Mac of everything. Then at mile 80, I rip your snow cone. And meanwhile, Ned, his girlfriend, was touring for him. Mm-hmm. And she lost him as soon as he left transition. She found him about 80 miles into the ride drinking from a sprinkler on the side <laughs> of the road. So then we finished the, finished the bike. And as I'm coming in, I hear this music. And I come in, and there's my crew. Mm-hmm. And they've got a bamboo mat laid out. And they're like, about a massage. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would feel great. My mm-hmm. neck is really tight. So about a 45-minute massage <laughs> between the bike and the rug. And they had a rule back then. If you lost 5% of your body weight, uh-huh. they would pull you out of the race. So they had scales. You had to get off your bike a couple times, and then during the run, they'd weigh you. And they'd check to make sure you had lost lost too much weight yeah. because dehydration you're not safe to go on the run exactly I don't know where they came up with the science but <laughs> so we start the run I get weighed and about mile four now I'm eating wine sweet bread and I'm staggering along <laughs> and drinking Gatorade and got my little distended belly and I get on the scale mile four and I can I still remember that I'm a walkie talkie I go, can you give me that again gain four pounds you can't gain weight doing this <laughs> So, so despite the fact you're sweating and it's a hot day and you're putting out some calories, obviously you're, you're gaining a few pounds. I'm gaining a few pounds. Uh-huh. Then I get to Diamond Head. And now I'm thinking, because remember I wasn't planning to do this since one day. Mm-hmm. I thought this would take me two days. So now I'm running up Diamond Head. My crew's behind me with a little Fiat convertible, like lighting up the way. And I'm actually running up Diamond Head and then we'll drop in the Kapilani Park. And I'm so what time of day would this be about? This is, I think I finished... In, like 14 something so we started at 7 in the morning and, uh, whatever that is like 10 at night okay plenty dark. Yeah, plenty dark yeah. so I uh, as I'm coming down into I'm thinking about God, there's going to be cheerleaders and yeah. this, is pretty, this is a pretty cool accomplishment yeah 115 thing. people finishing it's so, yeah, 108 years. We like it. Yeah. 115, yeah. So anyways, as I'm coming into Capilano Park, I see a white line on the road, and I see a light bulb overhead. And I'm sort of slow down, and I hear this guy in the darkness yell, hey, you. Yeah. Are you in the race? Yeah. You're done. You're done. That was it. That was like it. One guy doing one-arm push-ups in the park. And there, was, there was, like, nobody there. But it just, no Mike Riley, no Steve King, nobody a light bulb. You are, <laughs> you are an Iron Man. No, none of that. So it just made me, it, it was 
as I walked away, I just felt like I was changed. I knew that now I had this business card that told me that I could accomplish things that I didn't think I could do. Right? Because I had just finished this 140.6 mile thing that I thought would take me two days. And I finished it one day. And it was just, it was cathartic. It was something, and I, I think... That has never changed. I think that's still to this day for the average person who doesn't know how you know what they what they can do. Right? You can do all the training you want. The one thing that connects the age grouper and the top pro when they go to the starting line that Ironman race, they don't know if they're going to see the finish line. Right? You don't know. No, things happen. Out there. And that unknown is, I think, what bonds all of us together. Is that there's that's sort of scary. That you could have done the best preparation in the world. And it doesn't matter. I remember one year Scott Tinley won Ironman New Zealand and like barged through the finish shoot. Just, I need a, I need a pen. I need a piece of paper. And he wrote down everything he did. He uh-huh. had the perfect day. The formula. The formula. What he ate. What yeah. he ate. And next time he raced, did the same thing and blew up. Yeah. So you just, that's what's so bizarre about yeah. this thing. Is you just, it's the unknown. It's this journey into the unknown. And to me... I knew right then this is what I, I wanted to be involved with this forever. This week's Fit Tip delves deeply into the bowels of despair and intestinal fortitude. No, not really, but it does get to the guts of what we do as fit and happy people. In order to be at your best, whether it's at the job site, the race course, or in the bedroom, you need to be a healthy person. In previous Fit Tips, we've told you about the importance of consistent exercise and rest. Today, we turn to nutrition specifically about how food choices connect to your gut health. And your gut health really does matter. Not only does a happy stomach make you a less toxic, gas-producing lout, a healthy gut also contributes to a stronger immune system and improved mental clarity. So this goes far beyond getting your 10K times down. The key to gut health is to maintain a happy bacterial balance. Now, you probably heard this from Mr. Anderson in your grade 8 health class, but it still remains true, unlike your undying love for Susie in gym class, but I digest, or digress. Oh yeah, about that optimal balance now in your gut. There's about an 80-20 good bacteria to bad bacteria ratio in your stomach at any given moment, provided that you're healthy. If that balance gets the bad guys going at much higher than that, things can really go to poop and not in a good way. We're talking a rude range of health issues, constipation, gas, headaches, even depression. Whoever knew your gut had such a wide-ranging effect? First, bad news. According to research, and we'll post the source and the link on our Fit Tip page, taking medications and antacids are ways of promoting the bad bacteria. Being stressed out or taking in environmental toxins will also do a number on your good guys. Now the good news. There are ways to replenish the good bacteria in your system that do not involve getting a poop transplant from a person who has exceptional fecal fauna. Don't laugh. Poop transplants really happen. Tip number one to restore the good bacteria is to eat your veggies. You know, those super disgusting, deep green ones that you tell your kids to, or else. We're talking about foods like spinach, arugula, and of course broccoli. The purpose of eating these vitamin-rich foods is because of the roughage they provide in your gut, keeping things moving smoothly in your intestinal tract. 
kind of like the drive to Vancouver on a Sunday, faster and much less congested. The other type of foods you'll want to add to your diet are those that are high in either prebiotic or probiotic materials. These are the foods that will increase your good bacteria. Here's a list of some of them. Sauerkraut, kimchi, garlic, and onions. But if you're not that adventurous, there is, of course, yogurt. And instead of cheaping out and getting that cheap crap for a buck ninety-nine at Superstore, choose a locally made guar gum-free yogurt from Ridgecrest Dairy in Mission. It has all of the good stuff, none of the bad stuff, and you can get it at Fruits and Greens in Mission. Finally, choose some foods that are soothing and gentle on your stomach, such as ginger, fennel, or oatmeal. These are the foods folks eat to naturally relieve gas and bloating without having to take antacids. They aid your digestive process, again, paving the way to a healthier and happier digestive tract. If you missed any of this information or want to learn other ways to have a happier gut and healthier life and in doing so, maybe even make it up those darn hills on Dudney Trunk Road on your bike even faster, why not click on the Fit Tip of the Week link on our FitSpeak homepage. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, but before we go, another reminder, the Wenting's Word of the Week is Outdoors. And hopefully we'll all be spending a bit more time in that this upcoming weekend. Again, the Wenting's word of the week is outdoors. Go to Wenting's to pick up some tubes, maybe some chain lube or a tune-up. Mention the word of the week to one of the staff and claim your prize. It's just that easy. This week, I'd like to thank my co-host Kevin Watt, Bob Babbitt from Babbittville.com, Craig Premack for that great interview, Dr. Her for helping us on the Craig Premack interview, and you for listening. One more reminder of the TriJoy Cultus Lake Training Camp on June 10th and 11th. Check the TriJoy link on our FitSpeak homepage. Join us next time when we'll have details of the upcoming Heritage to Hatsik run and mission race results from the Escape Velocity Spring Series race out in Bradner, another installment of Bob's Bits, and our usual shout-outs to you, our listeners. Thanks again for listening. For Kevin Watt, I'm Kevin Hines for Fitspeak. Bye for now. <laughs>